Okay. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a special um, world-building stream <clears throat> for uh, Tales of Jamora: The Kraken's Wake. Um, although, more for uh, Tales of Jamora proper. So, this is specifically related to um, just the Jamora setting. Uh, none of this stuff will probably make it into the current campaign, into the Kraken's Wake campaign. Um, this is more for perhaps some upcoming adventures. So, this is going to deal with an area previously unexplored uh, by anyone in the current nations uh, on the continent of Dravos, which is where the current party is adventuring. So, uh, the kingdoms of Twillin, Lilanosti, Kirinjo, Kazdal, um, those are all found on Drevos, um, alongside uh, the island nation of Kardarel, where the Dragonborn are from. Um, this region is uh, roughly going to be about the size of uh, to put it into sort of uh, real-world terms, um, about the size of the Caribbean, uh, but it is surrounded in its entirety by a giant, massive storm system that walls it off from the rest of the world. Um, so uh, it kind of exists as... Uh, independently of the rest of the world, they've kind of... Uh, grown and shaped um, in parallel and in some cases may have uh, exceeded the rest of the world and in other cases uh, may have fallen behind um, in terms of technology, culture, magic, uh, you name it. Um, one thing in particular is that they have advanced uh, in technology. So... Um, but we'll get into that a little bit more. Uh, the main feature of this region um, that we're just going to call the te the Tempest for now, um, and the livable area is known as like the heart of the Tempest, is the fact that most of the habitable land masses were pulled up from the surface into the air. So. Uh, the, the whole region is surrounded by, like, this dome of storms. And most of the inhabitants are quite familiar with air travel of various sorts, whether it being under their own power via wings or through some manner of airships. So this is drawing on inspiration from um, a lot of games such as Skies of Arcadia, Xenoblade Chronicles 2, Baton Kaidos, where uh, the whole entirety of the game kind of focuses around uh, a lot of these flying ships and airships, and they're relatively commonplace. Um, this is also drawing on some themes from The Legend of Zelda Skyward Sword, where the habitable regions are these floating islands. And down on the surface, um, the surface is a very dangerous place. So 
that's kind of the the direction that I wanted to go with this region is really focus on sort of this um to take Jamora's themes of um spells and swashbuckling or swashbuckling and sorcery uh and apply it to air travel and and the air and to do sort of sky pirates and things like that um and I really liked the concepts that they were starting to really develop in Skyward Sword of um, looking at these very isolated communities up in the air and then this sort of, um, instead of the Underdark, uh, replacing the Underdark with just the surface and giving you a little bit more environments to play with without having to uh, come up with any sort of unusual environments and workarounds for underground environments like that. Um, so uh, Josh, one of one of the players in the game, he plays Tyrant Kai, has asked if I have ever played Skies of Arcadia. Um, I played it very briefly. Um, I borrowed it from a friend of mine, um, but unfortunately returned it before I could really get into it. Uh, I never played it when it originally launched on the GameCube, um, but I wish I did, uh, because I read a lot of articles about it in magazines at the time, and was really intrigued by a lot of just the themes, and very, um, just sort of like, uh, aerial armada stuff, uh, happening in that game. And so that's directly led into this. Um, Baton Kaidos, uh, was another kind of really good example of this, where all of your main characters, except for one, have wings and are able to fly around places. And there's a lot of like floating and sky boats and stuff like that. And um, part of the main story is that the main character um, has like a prosthetic wing. And so, you know, trying to get around using that. Um, and one of your side characters uh is from the Empire, and they don't have wings at all due to some divine thing that happened. Um, but, uh, so, I do have some, we'll call them factions, drafted up, uh, that do control various regions um, in this Tempest area. Um, and the idea is that there's, there's quite a few... Um, so there's some larger islands, and that's where the hubs of these nations are. But they also control a vast swath of territory among smaller islands and island chains. And um, basically to kind of get like a, a sort of Pirates of the Caribbean feel um, that you also get like with other sort of pirate style games where you're going around the Caribbean and there's a lot of small islands really close to each other that you can use for hiding or for exploration or to island hop here and there. Um, I, I really enjoy that sort of exploration theme uh, in games and this would kind of take that but put a spin on it. Again, by having it be in the air. Um... So, uh, some of the main, is the, so the big main factions that we have are, uh, kind of defined by their leadership structure and their sort of outlook. Um, 
And so we have, uh, first up is the Dracozul Praetorium. So this is a theocratic nation that is governed by the worship of Lokdov, the uh, sort of sky serpent, um, who is revered as the god of sky and storms. Um, Lokdov is worshipped elsewhere in Jamora, um, but within the Tempest is revered as the leader of gods and the leader of the Pantheon, uh, which is not consistent elsewhere. Um, where Kure, uh, the, the goddess of the sun, is revered as sort of the leader of the pantheon. Um, although it should be noted that there is a faction among the clergy that are devoted to Lokdov that believe that he is the true rightful ruler. And so this may interact with that to some degree. Perhaps there's some history there that this uh, this faction may have derived from that subset of the, the clergy. Um, but especially considering that most of the travel takes place in the air, surrounded by storms, and wind especially plays a very important role in daily life among these islands. Um, it elevates the Azure Drake, uh, as he is known, to this... Uh, very prominent status. And so they wield a considerable amount of power. Um, they control uh, a region known as the Azure Skylands, where um, it's populated with uh, deciduous forests um, and uh, of notable um, ecology, they have drakes, which are small dragon-like creatures, um, mostly uh, wingless, sort of quadrupedal Draconic creatures um, that, uh, you know, sort of have the role of, like, apex predators, um, but aren't necessarily big, giant creatures. So thinking more along the lines of how, like, wolves could be considered apex predators in North America, or mountain lions. Um, defining features is, in keeping with its name of the Azure Skylands, a lot of the plant life is more of a bluish green, including the grass itself. Um, so uh, if you think of an aesthetic like Azure Mist Isle from World of Warcraft, something very similar to that. Um, so it also gives a, a bit of a tint to the overall landscape, that it, it, it sort of almost seems to reinforce this um, color palette for Lokdov. Um, as far as the demographics go, uh, Asimar, due to their divine heritage, humans, uh, Goliaths, Dragonborn, particularly Blue Dragonborn, are um, sort of the main uh, demographic uh, groups uh, in this region. Um, and in particular, the Blue Dragonborn, the Asimar, um, hold considerable sway within the churches. Um, having some claim to divine heritage. Um, the Asimar more so than the Dragonborn, but given the um, visual similarity to Lockdove's preferred form, they kind of have some claim to that. Um, next up, we have the Stormglade Isles. These are um, the 
main area that falls under the sway of the Kingdom of Galewright. And the Kingdom of Galewright, a uh, very highly organized monarchy. Um, and their structure is... Um, so, similar to the nation of Twillin, which um, currently is under the rule of the navy, um, this nation, uh, everyone, regardless of their station or their economic class, is assigned a rank. So, even children, you know, have some sort of pseudo-military rank within the nation. Um, and it's not to say necessarily military, but everyone is sort of denoted as, as having a rank within the culture and economy of this kingdom. Um, this is where, um, there's a lot of really desirable wood for airships, um, of various sorts. And so it's a very hilly region, um, with thick forests. You can find moose and owl bears there. Um, at the moment, I've only fleshed out that it is, uh, definitely populated by humans and elves. Um, but it's also possible to find, um, any other races suited for thick forests. Um, so forest gnomes, uh, halflings particularly might be found there. Um, so yeah. Um, and all elf varieties, uh, and within the Tempest, there isn't the um, sort of uh, clash that you get between, say, the High Elves and the Drow that you do in the Kingdom of Lilanosti uh, on Drevos. Is um, the various elf groups just intermingle um, without any really anyone really batting an eye? Um, so. Uh, next up is the Gullwing Consortium, which controls the Gullwing Archipelago. Uh, this is um, this is an interesting faction. So this is a nation, which is really a cluster of principalities uh, governed by the Merchants Guild, by the Gullwing Consortium. So this is a Merchants Guild that holds sway over all of these sort of individual factions grouped together or these, these localities all grouped together. Um, the consortium is largely populated by Arakokra and Kenku. Um, the Arakokra in particular because they can fly natively. Um, and the Kenku um, unfortunately have lost their ability to fly, but have made up for it with other talents that they're able to use uh, that help out the consortium. Um, particularly in factoring uh, and forging trade deals, um, whether through nefarious and underhanded or straightforward and diplomatic means. Um, again, forests very common for this region. Um, the, the climate in particular ranges from subtropical to tropical. Um, and... Uh, it really only gets colder as you get higher in the atmosphere. Um, but uh, a lot of those areas aren't really well suited for permanent habitation. 
so um, a lot of the really habitable areas are very warm. So you don't see a lot of um, like conifer forests or anything like that. So it's a lot of uh, very deciduous trees. You do get palm trees. Um, but the Gullwing Archipelago, um, very uh, dense cluster of small islands um, that uh, are connected via this giant tree. Or, or several giant trees that serve as Ares for winged families and winged creatures that are used by said families. So, uh, you know, if you have um, a nation mostly populated by bird folk, um, you have these giant sort of tree dwellings, not unlike the ones that you would find in Lilinosti, um, except they're much more geared toward uh, being able to fly off of perches and not have to worry about ropes and ladders and things like that. Um, this also helps facilitate trade um, so that uh, you can easily launch boats from sort of the upper reaches. And um, notably, uh, primarily urban. So a lot of the quote-unquote wild areas are actually parks um, and very developed um and very jam-packed together. So it gives you almost like a skyscraper kind of feel in that because a lot of the inhabitants can natively fly, you can build up as opposed to having to build out. Um, and since they're populated by a lot of very tall trees, you naturally don't even have to build very much. Um, notable ecology are giant eagles and giant owls um, in keeping with the sort of avian theme in the region. Um, next up, we have the Gustenwald Empire, which, uh, lords over Gustenheim. Uh, this is a very expansive territory of grasslands. Um, notable, uh, is you'll find Bulet, Boulet, Boulets there. Uh, the, the big burrowing, um, armadillo, snapping turtle creatures, um, Primarily populated by dwarves and humans. Um, yes, land sharks. Uh, this is where um, you will find a lot more uh, advanced machinery um, to replicate flying. Um, and uh, so you'll find things more akin to like combustion engines in order to get things off the ground um, as opposed to propellers or sails or float wood or elemental engines or things like that. Um, Gustenwald is ruled over um, a, a mysterious and seemingly immortal emperor that wields absolute authority and has done so for seemingly the past few hundred years. Um, few have actually ever seen the Emperor, so there are rumors that are hushed in quiet corners of the Empire that the Emperor may be an idea as opposed to an actual person. Um, 
but uh, when edicts come from uh, Imperial headquarters, they are carried out uh, without question. The Misty Wilds is kind of a region of loose air currents, fog, um, small marshy islands um, that serve as uh, sort of makeshift uh, temporary stops for the Blackheart Alliance, which is, uh, because I am so fond of them, it is a democracy that oversees fleets upon fleets of sky pirates. So, uh, big enough that they are a major player and have formed a kind of a loose nation uh, where each ship sends representatives. Um, well, that would make it more of a republic, but um, e each ship is allowed to vote on matters and there are essentially representatives pulled from uh, the ships um, to represent them. Uh, and um, captains are voted <clears throat> uh, for candidacy on becoming uh, Grand Admiral, uh, who oversees all of the fleets um, and is advised by a council. So, uh, Notable Ecology is because there's a lot of sort of open air, we'll say, uh, surrounding this area and a lot of mist-bound, cloudy regions, uh, you get a lot of sky sharks. Now, sky sharks and other sky varieties of creatures will feature um, in this setting uh, because you have to have some kind of crazy, unusual flying creatures. Um, here's the big difference between sky sharks and regular sharks. Sky sharks fly. That's if if you want to use sky sharks in your own games, uh, that's all I'm going to be doing is taking regular sharks and giving them a fly speed and making them amphibious, right? Or or maybe not even amphibious and they just breathe air. Um, but the idea being is that they're uh, naturally buoyant in the sky, um, and the demographics being a coalition of pirates highly varied um so if you want to have a party that consists of um a a wide variety of character races um the blackheart alliance and the misty wilds are probably a, a good um faction for them to be associated with so that way you don't run into any like well okay so explain how um i don't know like a like a Fire Ganassi is over in this nation, or, or something like that. Um, let's see. So Josh asks, would a sky flying fish be swimming sky fish? Uh, the answer is yes. It's, uh, yeah, I, I'm not doing anything super complicated to adapt them. Um, so yeah. Uh, it would it would essentially be something similar to how um, uh, diving birds work, like pelicans and stuff, where uh, they briefly go underwater to swim and catch food, 
uh, but they don't stay under very, very long um, due to the need to breathe and the fact that they're somewhat adapted, but not completely adapted. So, I mean, I, really, that's the best way to think about it would be like uh, like a diving bird. <laughs> um, so uh, another region that we have um, that's not necessarily controlled by any particular faction is the Tethered Wastes. These are kind of barren islands um, that don't really have any permanent inhabitants on them that are covered with sometimes moss or, uh, you know, might just be slick with uh, mist from fog. Uh, they might be home to various spiders um, that have blown in from somewhere and have formed webs in between the islands. Uh, but they are chained together with big, thick links of iron of unknown origin. So uh, think about, these are going to be large enough and thick enough to chain floating rocks uh, together and prevent them from moving uh, out of a certain configuration. Um, so on, on a massive scale. So think a lot of like your, your video games and RPGs that have... Um, you know, these giant, giant castles, and you see the chains that are big enough that, like, you can run around on. And that's kind of how big we're talking. Um, you know, uh, each each individual link might be 10 to 15 feet long. And, you know, 3 to 5 feet wide. Um, so that'll be kind of a mysterious, unusual locale. Um, and then we have what is known as the depths. Now, this is the surface. Uh, so you do get a lot of your standard geo uh, geography. Uh, so coasts, uh, forests, hills, swamps. Um, you got caves. Uh, there may be deserts. Uh, it's unclear. No tundra. Um, I'm trying to think of what else you might find. Um, and as far as underdark... Maybe. Nobody really knows. Um, it's dangerous down there. Um, it's populated only by a few different uh, species of humanoid, uh, including goblins, kobolds, lizard folk, and orcs. Typically, um, species that traditionally elsewhere in Jamora have uh, had to really kind of eke out an existence in difficult locations. Um particularly underground. And so, um, and, and there aren't any large settlements. Like you won't find an, an orc or goblin city in the depths. You might find, uh, several encampments close by to each other. Um, but there may be miles upon miles, of uh, distance between them. And in between there, you have monsters, you have undead, you have all sorts of nightmarish beings. Um, it may be, uh, if, you know, a party of level one adventurers decides, well, we're going to go down to the depths and, and see what we can do with ourselves. Um, it's entirely possible that they may get swallowed up by some sort of, uh, hideous beast on the way down. Um, and it gets more and more dangerous as you approach the surface. Um, this, this is really to emphasize... Uh, there's not a, like, um, 
if you want to go down there, uh, it is incredibly hazardous and, you know, very few expeditions that go down there ever make it back. They typically bring back, there hasn't been a lot of actual usable resources that aren't available in safer regions up there. However, um, metal ores are a particularly scarce resource on the islands, and so you might get um, contracts to go try and find a metal vein um, and then secure it and try and establish some kind of foothold around it. Uh, could be something, you know, that adventures get contracted out for, but given that um, any sort of permanent presence tends to attract dangerous monsters, um, it often ends poorly. And so, um, resources. So Josh says, meanwhile, Jacob and swoops on a hang glider. Um, unlikely. Um, I mean, this, this is the equivalent of, um, trying to get, you know, several thousand feet from, so it's, it's several thousand feet down from the islands, from the sky islands down to the depths. Um, and then the other thing is hang gliders only in order to go back up, you need thermals. <laughs> uh, and so we, we got another comment, uh, that Jakeman gets shot out of the sky by, uh, a character in one of the games that I'm playing in who plays a, a gunslinger. Um, also not likely, uh, given that um, uh, weapons, so firearms tend to attract a lot of attention. Um, just, to, just to give an idea is we're talking, you know, um, like the, there are rumors and legends of things like Kraken level monsters that roam about in the depths and snack on any found prey um whether or not that's true and they're you know more on the scale of you know tyrannosaurs roaming around or tyrannosaur sized monsters roaming around there um but it may also be that the environment itself uh could be dangerous um there really isn't a whole lot of people that come back so it's unclear as to whether there are uh, poisonous fumes that come up from the swamps or there's acid pools. Um, just venomous uh, uh, plant life that upon touching it, you know, you, you know, contract a deadly poison. Um, you know, or it could be something like sentient mushrooms. Who knows? <laughs> a giant, uh, giant... Oh, what are they? The the mushroom people, uh, like a colony of mushroom people, and you know they just they infect whoever comes down. Yes, myconids. Yeah, uh, yeah, could be a myconid colony is taking over the depths, or uh, it could be slods, slods everywhere. Because you know when you encounter slods, chances are what happens is you turn into slods. Um, so yeah, 
But, uh... Yeah, so it's a very, very dangerous location. Um, but, you know, it's a, it's also gives you an interesting thing of if you want to be an explorer that's from the depths, um, that's made their way up to the Sky Cities. Um, that gives you a little bit of, like, a fish-out-of-water kind of a feel. Uh, I'm contemplating having uh, characters from the depths start with Undercommon instead of common and so that there's like two separate common languages um based on sky cities versus the depths i'm not sure though because i know it makes that if you have a mixed party um communication becomes a little difficult so um as far as uh other um species groups um, so not a whole lot of Earth Ganassi are in this region. Um, that's probably not very surprising, given, uh, that it's focus on storms and air. Uh, so you find a lot of water Ganassi, you find a lot of air Ganassi, you do find a lot of fire Ganassi, um, given that fire does play a part both in sort of heat, so... Uh, heat from the sun still penetrates through. You get heat from lightning. Fires still happen and occur uh, on the islands. Um, it's just that uh, there's not a whole lot of Earth for Earth Ganassi to really connect to. And so there's not a whole lot of them found there. Um, tieflings are nowhere near as common as Asimar. Um, primarily because there's... A, there's a large portion of Asimar in the, the Azure Skylands. Uh, tieflings can kind of be found as a, in a scat, smattering uh, scattered across the other regions, um, particularly uh, tieflings of the winged variety, um, since they tend to do very well in this region. Um, I'm trying to think of what else. Uh, it is possible to find Warforged in this region. Uh, they do still have a lot of the same idiosyncrasies that we find with Warforged elsewhere in Jamora. Um, so, personality traits and quirks similar to Twixen and Lantern um, you will find in Warforged in this region as well. Um, they don't seem to nearly have the uh, sort of hostile to unfriendly reactions that they get elsewhere. Um, just due to uh, the sort of advanced um, technological nature of this region. Um, so yeah. why, don't, why don't I talk about that for a little bit? So um, airships, extremely common. So if you, if you take uh, sort of a region of tropical islands like the Caribbean or Polynesia, and think about how ubiquitous boats are, just seafaring boats. Um, that is how ubiquitous airships and airboats are in this region. So um, there are folks that will take small airborne rowboats out in between locales uh, to do some semblance of sky fishing, which is a thing. Um, there will be... Um, Essentially more similar to, like, catching birds than, you know, dropping a dropping a line. Uh, but 
it, it's still a thing that is done um, as far as catching food. Um, different cultures will have their own different cultural sort of specs for various types of airships. Um, so uh, ones from the Gullwing Archipelago will have a lot of sails and, and sort of winged fronds on them. Um, and use uh, feathered sort of motifs on them to reinforce um, just the the sort of avian nature of the region. Um, but uh, the fact with, with a lot of sails and everything as a means to keep them buoyant, uh, as well as to keep them light. So they're often very um, quick, small, graceful ships. Um, uh, Gustenwald vessels um, are often very sturdy, very bulky, and use uh, mixing air and fire elemental magic with um, sort of uh, alchemical fuel to keep them going. Um, and are, are more akin to like some kind of rocket-based vessel than, than other varieties. Uh, the Stormglade Isles will utilize um, lots of wood and tree shapes, um, so often leaf motifs in there, um, combined with sort of um, lightning-arced elementals. Um, they're often noted for using gardens uh, within the airships themselves as a means of life support, if you will. Um, as a way to like produce food, produce shade, uh, help collect water. Um, the Azure Skylands, these will incorporate uh, a lot of uh, sort of cleaned and painted bones from drakes and build them into... Um, like these great barges that utilize a lot of draconic imagery in them um, to the point of having like tanned and dyed azure scale hide stretched across. So a lot of the sails will be this um, sort of scaled hide um, and have a very uh, regal design to them. Um, often very draconic figureheads uh, at the at the bow. Um, for the for the Blackheart Alliance, given the fact that they often have to resort to raiding and stealing and pilfering, plundering, looting, uh, kidnapping, ravaging, not giving a hoot, if as it were, uh, very ramshackle boats, um, often in some levels of disrepair. Um, mixing and matching different kinds of aesthetics. Um, so you might even get a little bit of like a Mad Max vibe going on where you may have what looks like um, like gullwing sails stretched across drake bones on a, on a storm glade hull, uh, but it's been outfitted with several uh, Gustenwald engines to essentially give you like a rocket sail <laughs> that that screams across the sky. Um, so yeah, uh, one thing in particular is with 
um, the Stormglade and Azure and, and the Praetorium vessels, the the Gale Wright and Praetorium vessels, is um, they will heavily utilize um, the binding of elementals. And so you'll get these like big giant rings that make them look like um, uh, starships almost. Um, if you've seen any of the articles about the proposed um, starship design from that was submitted to NASA a while back, where it had a big kind of warp bubble contraption around the ship that made it look like it had a, a big ring around it. Um, similar to that, this is a design that's uh, also used for airships in Eberron. Um, and um, prominent vessels and and um, vessels that are used for legitimate purposes, we'll say, will often utilize uh, a lightning or fire elemental to power it. And so it also serves as a beacon to say, hey, there's a ship here. You know, make sure you get out of the way. This is where we are. This is our position, especially when traveling at night. Nefarious vessels uh, may bind a wind elemental to them so that they can go into stealth mode at night. Um, sometimes they might even uh, particularly um, ostentatious vessels might bind some kind of radiant elemental to them um, so that they are literally alight uh, and glowing. Um, whereas extremely nefarious ones might bind uh, some kind of shadow uh, elemental to them. Um, some sort of corrupted elemental. Um, so like a smoke elemental so that it, it um, can hide uh, like within a thundercloud and, and darken itself and definitely um, cloak itself at night. So um, other things will, would include uh, like parachutes very common so any sort of um, you know a very common device um, a, a non-magical parachute uh, one feature is you know in any sort of township um, there would be enchantments of featherfall that if you were to accidentally fall off the edge of the world of your own little island kind of a thing that a featherfall enchantment would um, at least an act on you so that way somebody could pick you up before you, you know, plummeted to your death uh, to certain doom, as it were. So. So, yeah, that is kind of what I have thus far. Um, the. I would say uh, the the moniker that I have for this setting subsetting. Uh, in Jamora is Gust Riders. Um, the idea would be, again, a, a swashbuckling and sorcery uh, sky adventure. Um, and I might even come up with some custom uh, species, maybe, um, that might fit within the context of this sort of uh, aeronautical setting. Um, that's very focused on on ship to ship based travel. Um, so yeah, uh, we got a couple minutes left. So um, do you have any questions from the chat? Just see. Uh, before I decide to uh, 
to call it a stream. Fortunately, I can't tell. So Josh says the Aeronautilus, a giant skyfaring tentacly monster with a curly shell. Uh, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, and and any flying monster, right, would would be right at home here. Um, so I mean, flying across on giant eagles, giant birds. Feed keeps cutting in and out. Oh, interesting. Um. Yeah, I haven't seen any dropped frames on my end, so it must be something with the client, with the Twitch client. Um, okay. Uh, so yeah, do dead airfish lose their buoyancy, or do they hover in the air and then rise as they rot? Um, so dead airfish would lose their buoyancy. Yeah, they would lose their buoyancy over time. Uh, as they would be filled with less buoyant gases. Yeah, is the, the gases that keep them buoyant would escape and then be replaced with things like methane and stuff that uh, would make them bloat, um, but uh, not be as lighter than air. Rats plot hook could have been clouds of dead fish start rising from the underworld. Um, well, maybe. I mean, there are plenty of other ways to make uh, make dead things uh, start flying about. But I mean, let's put it this way. It, it might not necessarily be uh, just a natural process. It could be an unnatural process. Uh, perhaps, perhaps dead fish... Uh, Perhaps, let's say, even dangerous fish in the depths. You know, let's let's say, uh, I mean, piranha, you know, or some degree of piranha, right? That are in the depths and are common, a common fish in the depths. Um, suddenly, you start to find swarms of undead piranha start rising from the depths and uh, attacking settlements that are close to that region. And they start making their way further and further up. Um, I mean, that's certainly a plot hook. <laughs> and find out, okay, who's making undead flying piranha swarms? That's, that's always a great question. Um, so yeah. I think... We're going to wrap it up there. So if you uh, have any questions, any further questions about this setting, um, be sure to uh, follow facebook.com slash 8bitadventures. Um, you can follow me on Twitter at 8bitadventures. Um, you can find more information on not necessarily this portion of the Jamora setting, but if you want to learn about Tales of Jamora in general, head on over to jamora.com. Um, there may be once... These are still kind of very... Um, uh, uh, not fully fleshed out notes and a lot of just ideas that are rattling around in my head. 
Um, so uh, this stuff may not make it up onto the site for, for quite some time. But if you ever want to talk that, yeah, be sure to follow us on 8-Bit Adventures. Um, and if you want to help support projects like this, Tales of Jamora, um, any of our other podcasts like 8-Bit Adventures podcast or Berkshire Bites, um, please consider becoming a patron at patreon.com slash 8bitadventures. And over there you can find uh, some really cool exclusive patron content. More content of this might show up there as patron-only content um, as a special preview until it's ready for uh, sort of public viewing. So uh, there is, you know, a benefit to that as well. That is going to wrap it up, folks. So uh, thank you, Josh, for joining, as well as uh, I believe that would have been Mr. Scott Adams, who got called out <laughs> the other night on the podcast from a certain other DM. And uh, be sure to come back here um, next week, uh, April 19th, on twitch.tv slash 8bitadventures, 7 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time for the next episode of Tales of Jamora, The Kraken's Wake, as the party storms the Rose Gardens and uh, storms the castle. So, have fun, everyone. Happy gaming, and enjoy your pie cake. You're listening to the 8-Bit Adventures Network. Get more shows like this at 8bitadventures.com.